Well, as m most of you know, I, I, I don't normally come to church in uh, props. But there is a reason I'm wearing this today, and it goes along with our message today. So as you know, we're working through the book of Acts, and uh, last week we were in Acts chapter 17, and we actually looked at the first nine verses. Today, we're going to focus on verse 7, Acts chapter 17, verse 7. I think that the scripture, well, I don't think, I know the scripture is always relevant. There are those who think the scripture has lost its relevance, that the scripture doesn't apply to us today. It's an ancient book written by ancient men who does not apply to us today. But we do not believe that. We believe the scripture, the Bible, is the holy inspired word of God. Just as relevant for us today as it was 2,000 years ago, as it was 3,500 years ago, as it was in the beginning of time. Some say we're in a moment of national crisis. From the pandemic to our elections to national movements designed to destabilize our national foundations. Our crisis is not momentary. Designed to stabilize our national foundations, the very things that are happening, underlying all of it is the erosion of our liberties from the consistent and rising tide of those who seek to order our society not by our constitution that was informed and formed by the gospel. I want you to understand this. But they seek to order our society in spite of our constitution and contrary to it. Therefore, they seek to order our society contrary to the gospel. This crisis has not been created over a few weeks or months, but has been quietly forming over very many decades. Institutions that once contributed to America's greatness have become the source of indoctrination and propaganda designed to bring us to this crisis. Most recently, the erosion of the very things that make America unique among nations has become increasingly visible and difficult to deny. What made America great was never politicians or political systems or political parties. What made America great was her king. And it is our king alone who can heal us of all our ills. Acts 17, 7. Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. That is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds today to see Jesus, to hear the word of the Lord, that you would free us from the things that hold us and bind us, that you would set us free to be courageous, bold witnesses for your glory in this dark time that we live in. Father, we are your church. You're redeemed by the very blood of the Son of God. We hold the solution to the problems the world is so desperate to solve. Father, make us bold. 
You have given us your word. You have given us your Holy Spirit. And you have empowered us to be witnesses to you to the ends of the earth. May we be that to your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to focus on the last part of this one verse I just read to you. That says, saying there is another king, Jesus. This was the accusation against Paul and Silas and the other apostles, the other disciples. They are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Jesus is the king who made America great. Jesus is the king who makes all things great. And until we honor and worship Jesus as king, we will find ourselves in crisis, whether we know it or not. We will find our nation in crisis, whether we know it or not. Your life and many other lives may go on and seem to be dis not disrupted at all, normal as can be, having everything you could possibly want or desire, but that does not mean that we're not living in the midst of crisis. If Jesus is not king... If we do not acknowledge Jesus as king, not just individually, but as a nation, then the future of our nation will not stand as we have known it. And that is what God promises in his word for all nations. Until we honor and worship Jesus as king, we will find ourselves and our nation in crisis. Jesus must be king upon the throne of our heart before we may recognize him as king any other place. And if we do not recognize Jesus as king upon the throne of our own heart, it will be difficult for us to see him as king anyplace else. Some may protest that this is a decidedly political sermon that I'm giving to you today. And that politics has no place in the pulpit. And that I need to stick to preaching from the Bible and not from my political views. They would be correct about two of those three things. I'll let you figure out which ones. What many, if not most, Americans do not understand is that freedom to protest anything would not exist today if it were not for men of God proclaiming freedom from America's pulpits. These men understood it to be our unalienable right unalienable do you know what that word means it's defined as impossible to take away or give up that's what unalienable means impossible to take away or give up unalienable and inalienable are synonyms if you don't know what that means ask your English teacher Unalienable is the word found in our Declaration of Independence. Inalienable is the word commonly used today, but they, they are different words with the same meaning. An unalienable right is one that is impossible to take away. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, alien, there's that word, Latin students, alien alienable, inalienable, unalienable. We can see the, the Latin word alias in these words, meaning other. The Latin word alias means other. It's where we get our word alien from. At the root of these words, alien joined our language in the 14th century, and it's 
One of its earliest meanings was belonging to another. And by the early 1600s, that sense of alien had led to the development of alienable. An adjective that describes something you could give away or you could transfer the ownership of. That's what alienable meant. I can give you this. I can transfer the ownership of this to you. And its opposite is unalienable, which means I can't transfer this to you. I can't take this away from you. It is the word unalienable that was used in the Declaration of Independence to describe rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unalienable rights that are impossible to take away. That's what these are. Unalienable rights are rights that are impossible to take away. This word is used to express the nature of our rights in the United States Declaration of Independence. Let me quote it. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These truths did not come from political essays, but from the Bible itself. These truths were being preached from pulpits across Europe and America long before there was a declaration of independence and long before there was a nation called America. It was not from a study of civics we get our freedoms, but a study of theology. It was not politicians, but preachers who gave us the concept of unalienable rights. Long before halls of Congress or White House or a Supreme Court existed, filled with men conducting the business of government, fiery preachers were preaching a fiery gospel to inform people that our freedoms come from God, not from men. Our freedoms are not alienable, but unalienable. In other words, they're not granted to us by men But men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Therefore, since our liberty is not granted by men, our liberty cannot be taken away by men. Even if they jail us or, God forbid, kill us. And that happened to the people that gave us the very nation we call our own. Jesus spoke of truth and freedom as he is preparing to be crucified. It's recorded for us in John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not a truth. He is the truth, and the truth will set us free. The scripture is clear. It's not men, but Christ who has made us free. Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The long march to freedom did not begin in a declaration of independence. It did not begin with an American Revolution. It didn't begin with a Reformation. It did not even begin in the first garden. The long march to man's freedom began in the eternal counsel of the Godhead. The Son of God would be the agent by which men would be made free. So today, as always, it is the Son who sets us free. It is the King, King Jesus, who is our freedom. Jesus goes on in John's Gospel, in verse 36, and he says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. America became free because she recognized it was her king, not in England, but in heaven, that gave her and her people the unalienable right to be free. It was not the politicians of the American colonies, but her preachers that taught this truth from pulpits all across the land. They taught these truths because they believed it was what God commanded in his word. They believed it was the commission by which they were sent forth to disciple the nations beginning with their own. History confirms this very clearly Though not taught in our government indoctrination centers that we call public schools today, it is true nonetheless. The British, prior to and during the American Revolution, called American preachers who preached these truths, are you ready? The Black Robe Regiment. This is what, it was not a, it was not a complimentary term. It was quite a derogatory term. The British called preachers who preached the truth that God has given to man the unalienable right to life, liberty, and happiness. The British called them the Black Robe Regiment. So now you know why I have the black robe on today. Now I won't have it on next week, don't worry. But I want... To make a point for you today, and I want you to understand very clearly the importance of this. They called them that because back then preachers wore black robes every Sunday. They, they dressed kind of like this in a black robe. The preachers of that day did not take to social media. They didn't go to the town square to proclaim this scandalous message. They thundered it straight from their pulpits. The citizens were educated about their God-given freedom in God's house. There was no conflict between preaching and politics because there was no conflict and still is not today between the gospel of Christ and the governance of man. And don't let the lying world tell you any difference. Don't let the world make you believe your faith is for the church house on Sunday and make sure it stays there. We'll let you have it there as long as you keep it in the four walls. But don't you dare take it outside the four walls because then you're going to be in trouble. That was the kind of lie that the Black Robe Regiment railed against, preached against. And they said, the king did not give us our rights. God gave us our rights and the king cannot take them away even if he jails us or kills us. He has not that power. 
And guess what? The king does not have that power today. Only the king, the king of kings, has that power. What men of God knew back then that too many have forgotten or ignored today is that there is no free governance of man apart from a free gospel. It is the gospel that has given us our freedom. And it is only the gospel that will keep us free until pastors gird up their loins, until they get a backbone by which they can stand up and preach straight, we will continue to lose our freedoms to a government governed by men all too willing to take them, men who will not bow to the rightful king, the king of kings. And if men will not bow to the king of kings, then we will not bow to those men. Do you understand? This is in stark contrast to the men who once filled our pulpits and led our institutions, proclaiming without shame or compromise the gospel of Christ. Now, believe it or not, there is an organization, a historical society, who puts out all kinds of literature from history called the National Black Robe Regiment. And, and you can Google nationalblackrobregiment.com and you'll find the history and the sermons of many of these preachers from the revolutionary and pre-revolutionary time. And I want to just read to you some things because I want you to understand this is our history. We are here today in America enjoying our freedom and our prosperity because Men took it upon themselves and they took it seriously and they sacrificed everything they had in order for us to be free today. And if we're not willing to stand up and boldly proclaim the gospel today, we will lose what they bought for us at such a dear price. The Black Robe Regiment was the name that the British placed on the courageous and patriotic American clergy during the founding era. Significantly, the British blamed the Black Robe Regiment for American independence. And rightfully so, for modern historians have documented that there is not a right, listen, there is not a right asserted in the Declaration of Independence which had not been discussed by the New England clergy before 1763. It is strange to today's generation to think that the rights listed in the Declaration of Independence were nothing more than a listing of sermon topics that had been preached from the pulpit in the two decades leading up to the American Revolution. But such was the case. But it was not just the British who saw the American pulpit as largely responsible for American independence and government. Our own leaders agreed. For example, John Adams rejoiced. He's the second president of the United States, if you didn't know that. John Adams rejoiced that the pulpits have thundered and specifically identified several ministers as being among the characters, I quote, the characters the most conspicuous, the most ardent and influential in the awakening and a revival of American principles and feelings that led to American independence. Across subsequent generations, the great and positive influence of the revolutionary clergy was faithfully reported. For example, 
1833 in American Quarterly Register, they say this, As a body of men, the clergy were preeminent in their attachment to liberty. The pulpits of the land rang with the notes of freedom. In 1856, a British periodical said this, If Christian ministers had not preached and prayed, there might have been no revolution as yet. This is in 1856, coming from Britain. If Christian ministers had not preached and prayed, there might have been no revolution as yet, or had it broken out, it may have been crushed. And in 1864... B.F. Morris, a historian, said this, The ministers of the revolution were, like their Puritan predecessors, bold and fearless in the cause of their country. No class of men contributed more to carry forward the revolution and to archive our independence and to achieve our independence than did the ministers. By their prayers, patriotic sermons, and services, they rendered the highest assistance to the civil government the army, and the country. Alice Baldwin, a historian in 1918, wrote this. The Constitutional Convention and the written Constitution were the children of the pulpit. Had ministers been the only spokesmen of the rebellion had Jefferson, the Adamses, and James Otis never appeared in print, the political thought of the revolution would have followed almost exactly the same line in the sermons of the patriot, patriot ministers. We find expressed every possible refinement of the reigning political faith. Wrote a historian in 1953. The American clergy were faithful exponents of the fullness of God's word, applying its principles to every aspect of life, thus shaping America's institutes and culture. They were also at the forefront of proclaiming liberty, resisting tyranny, and opposing any encroachments on God-given rights and freedoms. Those are just a few quotes I pulled from the historical record that shows us how important the pastors and preachers and ministers and pulpits across America at that time were in shaping this nation, in shaping our Declaration of Independence, in shaping absolutely our Constitution. It is a wholesale lie that the world wants us to believe because they cannot stand the truth. It's a wholesale lie to say that this nation, its founding, its form of government, its constitution and everything about it, it came out of the gospel. And to say any different is a lie. And the only reason it is said today is because men want to, as they have always done since the fall of man in the garden, they want to continue to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. This is what all men do until they are set free by the king of kings, until they are set free to know and live in the truth. 
Until that time, we are men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I don't care how many television stations they're on. I don't care how many letters they have after their name. I don't care what university, what, what, what acclaim they possess. If they don't tell you that truth, they're lying and suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And we should not be afraid to say so. Let me read to you an excerpt from a sermon preached. By all people, the president of Yale College in 1783. I could read you excerpts from the president of Harvard College as well. Harvard and Yale were far, far different colleges then than they are today. Because what I'm about to read to you that the president of Yale College preached, he preached it from his sermon. What I'm about to read to you is diametrically opposed to what is coming out of those universities today. Here's the title of his sermon. Here's how it begins. The United States, this is the name of his sermon, the United States elevated to glory and honor a sermon preached before His Excellency Jonathan Trumbull, Esquire, Governor and Commander-in-Chief and the Honorable, the General Assembly of the State of Connecticut, convened at Hartford at the anniversary election, May 8, 1783, by Ezra Stiles, President, D.D., Doctor of Divinity, President of Yale College. Now, I'm not going to read the whole sermon to you. I'm not going to read the text of his scripture, but it's back from the Old Testament when God is charging Israel to keep his commands. I'm going to fast forward to the end of his sermon and to the summary of why he's giving this sermon. I quote, I shall enlarge no further upon the primary sense and literal accomplishments of this and numerous other prophecies respecting both Jews and Gentiles in the latter-day glory of the church. For I have assumed the text only as introductory to a discourse upon the political welfare of God's American Israel and as elusively prophetic of the future prosperity and splendor of the United States. This is from 1783. He's preaching this sermon Speaking of prophesying, he says, of the future glory and prosperity of the United States. And do you know what? He was exactly right. He might not have considered himself to be a prophet, but he got that right. And here's what he says. We may then consider, one, what reason we have to expect that, by the blessing of God, these states may prosper and flourish into a great American republic and ascend into high and distinguished honor among the nations of the earth to make thee high above all nations which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor. And two, that our system of dominion, I like that word, 
that our system of dominion and civil polity would be imperfect without true religion. Or that from the diffusion of virtue among the people of any community would arise their greatest secular happiness. Which will terminate in this conclusion. That holiness ought to be the end of all civil government. That thou mayest be a holy people unto the Lord thy God. He's talking about America. He's talking about the future of this nation. The president of Yale College in 1783. You wouldn't hear those words come out of the president of Yale or Harvard or any other college most likely today. Except a few. There are a few. There are very few. They are now the exception and not the rule. By the way, do you know why Yale was started? It was a seminary, but you know why Yale was started? Because Harvard became too liberal. <laughs> Back then... The guys that started Yale thought Harvard had become too liberal, so we're going to start another more conservative cemetery. That's probably Freudian slip, probably just the way it should be, cemetery. But think about, think about what this man preached in 1783. The president of Yale College preaching to the governor and commander-in-chief in the estate assembly stating that holiness ought to be the end of all civil government that thou may be a holy people unto the Lord thy God. That's what this nation was founded on. That's what the founders of this nation believed. That's what made this nation great. Let's go back to our text in Acts. Acts 17, 7. Jason has harbored them. This was the accusation. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Would that the church today be accused of something so simple and so glorious as that, that we would be accused of proclaiming another king, Jesus, instead of much of the church who says today, Jesus is just one of many kings, if you want to call him that. He's a way, but there are many ways to God. He's a truth, but there are many truths. That's not what our founders died for. That's not what the apostles died for. That's not, most importantly, what Jesus died for. So that we could call him another way, another truth. He is none of those. He is the only way and the only truth. And he is the only king. There is no other. I pray that people are beginning to wake up. That people are beginning to realize what a great blessing America is so, for so many all over this world. Because of our king, Jesus but there are many who do not want American greatness. And they do not want especially Jesus to be called our king. It is no accident 
that American greatness is directly proportional to the greatness of the gospel preached throughout this land. It is no accident that those seeking to diminish the greatness of America also seek to diminish the gospel of Christ and its preaching throughout this land. As the gospel is diminished in our land, so is the greatness of our land. I love our Declaration of Independence. I love our Constitution and all things that make America unique among the nations in the history of the world. And she is unique, absolutely. The truth is, though, it's not declarations or constitutions or branches of government that ever made America great. It is our King. It is King Jesus that makes us great. It is the worship of Jesus. It is the preaching of the gospel. It is the infusion of the gospel in all that is America and American that has made and will keep America great. We are in crisis, it is true. But it's not a political crisis. It's a spiritual crisis. It was not a political movement that led to the founding of this great nation of ours. It was a spiritual movement. It was a gospel movement that led to the founding of this nation. It is only the gospel and the spirit of God that can heal our nation and keep us free. The crisis is real. Now is the time for the church to humble herself and pray. Then she must stand up straight and proclaim straight the gospel of Christ in all the power that the Holy Spirit of God will grace to us. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. It alone is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, most certainly to Americans and to all peoples of the world. We do proclaim another king. Yes, it is true. And his name is Jesus. He is king of all kings. He is Lord of all lords. And to him alone be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is our king. He is the king that made us who we are today. I told someone last night, I drove to Round Rock yesterday and I'm sitting at one of the lights as I'm coming into Round Rock and I'm seeing traffic and I'm looking around, there's restaurants everywhere and there's H-E-B Plus, and there's all these things. And I'm just at banks, you know, all kinds of things. And I'm thinking, you know, look at this. Here I am. I mean, I could turn any direction and get anything I want to eat. I, I go open up a bank account and, you know, deposit my money. If it, if it was my bank, I could withdraw my money. I can go to an ATM machine if I don't have cash and get cash. I can go to the store and use a piece of plastic to buy whatever I want. If I'm hungry, I, I just drive through and get what I want, or I go in and eat. We live in a time, in a place that, that most of the people that have ever lived on planet Earth cannot even imagine in their wildest dreams. What we call normal, what we take for granted every day for all practical purpose for most of the people that have ever lived on planet Earth, this is almost like heaven on Earth. If we could have told people hundreds of years ago, we don't have to go back hundreds of years, 
My dad was born in 1912. My mom was born in 1922. They were children of the Depression. My dad fought in World War II and went across Europe so that we could be free from Nazis. And here we are wanting to give our nation back to them. And we don't even realize it. People of that generation, they, they can't even imagine the prosperity and the blessing, the abundance that we live in today. Even in my parents' generation, it wasn't so. I mean, you just, I mean, anything we want, we don't even have to leave our house now. We just get online, wireless, and we go to Amazon or we go to whatever. We just order it. And then the same day or the next day, it shows up at our doorstep. And, and all we have to do is cut the box open and use it. We are so blessed. We, 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 we can't even imagine. And I said that light, and in just a, just a few seconds, it's like God just showed me. It's like, do you realize how blessed you are? Do you realize what you have? And do you know... Christian, do you know why you have what you have? You have it because of the gospel. American government didn't give it to you. Jesus gave it to you. The unalienable rights that you have didn't come from men. They came from God. Men want to take them away from you. There's no doubt about it. Here we are today having church, but do you know there's places in our own nation right now where it is against the law the law, to gather and worship. No, it's not against the law. It's our right. It's our unalienable right. And don't let the Caesars of today lie to you and make you believe it's against the law because it's not against the law. They might haul you off. They might shut the doors. But it is not against the law because it is our unalienable right given to us by God. And if we don't begin to stand up and proclaim the truth, sooner than later, we'll continue to see those unalienable rights eroded away. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I thought you said they can't be taken away from you. They can't be. But you don't have to walk in them. If you want to believe the lie, you don't have to walk in them. And this is what the enemy does. He can't take anything away from you. His power is the power to deceive you. He deceives you in your thoughts. He deceives you in your words. He deceives you by what you hear and what you see. And he will deceive you as long as you will allow to be deceived. But Jesus is the truth that will set you free. God's word is the truth that can shed light on the lie. God doesn't see Americans or not Americans. There's not going to be an American corner in heaven. The American flag doesn't give you some rights from God that, that are special beyond any other nation. No. But don't think just because that's true that this nation we call America was not raised up by God because there is not a nation that could exist as America exists apart from God. It is the grace of God that raised us up. It is the grace of God that blessed us. It is the grace of God that prospered us. And I believe it is because men 
who wore black robes back in the day were not afraid to proclaim the gospel from their pulpits. And if it meant they would be arrested, if it meant that they would be jailed, if it meant that they would be killed, they didn't care because they had been set free. Set free from what? By the king of England? No. Set free by the truth and the truth as it is in Jesus. And we need to be set free by the truth as it is in Jesus. As Jesus is the truth, and he is. We need to be free men and free women. And we live in a world that's in bondage to sin and death. And the only way they can be set free from that sin and death is through Jesus Christ, the King of glory. And if we continue to fear men more than we fear God, if we continue to be worried about offending people because we don't speak politically correct, because we don't believe what the world tells us we should believe today, if we continue to be fearful of those things, we will continue to be in bondage. And the freedom that was so dearly bought for us, we will see that erode as we sink into the darkness and deception of the lie. But we are people of the truth, and we have the light, and we can shine the light of truth and dispel the darkness. And that is what God commands us to do in Jesus Christ. We are commanded to disciple the nations. It's why Columbus came here. It's why the pilgrims came here. It's why so many came here. Because they were obeying what Jesus told his church to do. To spread this gospel to the ends of the earth and disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he has not told us to stop. And it will not stop until he comes again and plants his feet on this earth and heaven and earth come together and we will rule and reign with him throughout all eternity. But this is our time of visitation right now on planet earth. What are you going to do with your time? What are you going to do with your voice? What are you going to do with the unalienable rights that God has given to you? God has given them to you. What are you going to do with them? We can be quiet or we can be loud. You guys know me. I'm loud. So let's open our mouths. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's not be afraid of what the world's going to think of us. Let's proclaim the truth because there are people living in bondage today to sin and death who need the truth that will set them free. Let's disciple the nations, but let's start with our own. Amen? Jesus is the King. King of kings and the Lord of lords. To him alone be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's prepare to come to the table of the Lord. You do not have to be a member of Christ Fellowship Church, but a member of the body of Christ. This table of Thanksgiving as we approach Thanksgiving season, we're in it. We're going to celebrate what we call Thanksgiving Day, a couple of weeks. But every week we come to this table, and it is a table of thanksgiving, giving thanks for the body and the blood of Jesus, given up and poured out that we 
would be free. And he has indeed set us free. We'll all receive the elements and then we'll all take them together. Welcome to the table of the Lord. Welcome to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Here is your charge today. Do not be afraid to act contrary to the decree of Caesar when Caesar is acting contrary to his king, Jesus. Do not be afraid to proclaim another king. We are, in fact, commanded to do so. Our charge is to proclaim Jesus is king. In fact, he is king of all kings and Lord of all lords. The Bible tells us 365 times to fear not. I guess that's one for every day of the year. To remind us. Fear not, for God is with us. He is the king of glory and he rules supreme over all. Proclaim him. Let him be enthroned upon your heart that you would know who is rightfully king. Amen.